Ladies, every day that we get up, we get up realizing that we are dependent upon Him. He is our strength. He is our strong tower. We certainly do need Him. Thank you for that song. I so appreciate that. 1 Samuel 17 is where I'm at this evening. 1 Samuel 17. Let me just remind you that there is a senior luncheon or fellowship Saturday at 1.30, David's Catfish House in Milton. And if you've not signed up for that, if you'll do so after the service, so Brother um, Nathan will know how many to tell them. And that's this coming Saturday. Pray for our kids as well. Uh, Saturday they'll be at the regionals, Masters Club regionals. And we are sure that they will come home with many ribbons and awards and trophies. And, um, and uh, then next Sunday night... I'm turning the service over to the young people, and, um, and they'll, they'll do their thing, and then we'll have a fellowship, and um, it'll be a wonderful time. We had, um, in case you weren't here this morning or it took you by surprise or you weren't prepared, we raised $11,000 this morning for the piano. Had another 500 come in this afternoon, so we're at 11 dollars on this piano. And uh, we're going to buy it, but if you haven't got in on that and want to get in on that, then you can still do that and just put it in the offering and market piano. And uh, maybe you can't do 500, maybe you do 100, maybe you do 50, but you're going to have a part in that. I encourage you to do that. And um, by the way, we have a piano for sale now. If y'all know anybody that needs a piano, we got a fine piano for some. <laughs> it's a vintage, vintage piano, Chinese piano. <laughs> Looking at the life of Saul and um, in chapter 17, obviously, Saul is one of the characters in this chapter, the story of David and Goliath. And I, I worked and worked and worked on it, and I wanted to not deal with David or Goliath. I wanted to deal just with Saul, because that's what it's about, the series Saul Syndrome. But it really was hard to focus on Saul and not focus on David and the battle with Goliath. Really, the story should be called Saul and Goliath, but it is called David and Goliath. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about Saul, but though this is the Saul syndrome, I, I'm going to end up talking more about David. I just know that I am. And, and I think that sometimes it is more difficult to preach from an, an a familiar passage than an obscure passage. And the reason why there is a tendency in overly familiar texts or stories for the audience to check out early if they sense we have already heard this before. We live in the age of sound bites and 20 minute podcasts and people that produce those kind of things know that you have a very small window in which to catch the attention of your audience. Nobody has time to listen to an hour speech to determine whether you want to hear the speech or not. They've already made that decision within the first three or four minutes. 
And if the subject matter is new or if it is unknown or unfamiliar, then there's a little bit of suspense, curiosity that helps to draw the listener in. I assure you there's nothing new about David and Goliath. It is the same story that you heard in Sunday school 50 years ago. It is still the same. The Philistines were the most persistent threat to Israel in the days of Saul. Saul had won a partial victory over them back in chapter 14. Actually, it was Jonathan who had won the victory, but Saul was quick to take the credit for the victory. The Philistines had at one time held dominance over Israel, but Jonathan seems to have broken that, and he has humiliated them a little bit, and over the years, the Philistines have not forgotten that. They are still mad about it. And that sets the stage for a battle between Israel and the Philistines in the valley of Elam. Elam is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. It was about 15 miles from Bethlehem, which was the hometown of David. <clears throat> the two sides, they have dug in, and in against each other, and there is a valley, a steep terrain that is between them. Close enough to see each other, but not kill each other. The Philistines have the superior army. They have the superior technology. They have chariots. They have weapons of iron. The problem is, is that chariots are not all-terrain vehicles. They work good in flat ground, but not in ravines and valleys and brooks and mountainsides. And so there is a stalemate between the two. And the story is really told through the Characters or three characters, that is Goliath, David, and Saul. And so as you look at the story, I, I, I want you to notice, first of all, Goliath is the man with a contemptuous heart. Look, if you would, in verse number four. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. I don't know how long the standoff has lasted, but finally the Philistines bring out their secret weapon. They have recruited a giant. He is nine and a half feet tall. He has bulging muscles in every part of his body. He speaks in a deep, gruff voice. He had a very loud, raucous laughter. Actually, I made that part up, but you get the part. You, you get the picture. Wears a bronze helmet, he has a coat of armor that's 125 pounds. 
His spear is like a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear is 15 pounds, just the spearhead by itself. And Goliath comes out one day, and he stands in the middle of that valley between the two camps. He says, hey, 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 you, you men of Israel, hey, you come to fight? Let's get it on. You wanted to fight us Philistines? Well, here we are. Well, what are you waiting for? Why are we just standing around looking at each other? There's no use in us just killing each other. Why don't we just settle this like men one to one? I tell you what, you send me out one man and I'll fight him one on one. Fair fight. And if your best man beats our best man, then we'll be your servants. But if our best man beats your best man, then you will be our servants. Come on, Israel, send me a man. I mean, surely, surely in the army you got one man, one brave soldier that would surely take me on. And maybe you can pray to your God and see who he would have sent out. And Goliath would laugh at that loud, raucous laughter. And the Philistine men, they would laugh, and the Israelites would go running, scurrying, and hiding in their tent because of fear. And then that evening, Goliath would come out, and he'd do it all over again. He'd curse them, and he would use vile language, and he would mock them, and then he would mock their God. And for 40 days, every morning and every evening, he came out, and he issued the challenge. That is 80 times daring them to fight and defying their God. Every day he becomes more emboldened, more brazen. He becomes cockier and, and, and more arrogant. And, and, and probably every day he comes just a little bit closer to their camp. And, and soon he's more on their side than he is on his own side. I think that he took sadistic pleasure to watch those men tremble. And, to watch them peeking out of their tent. And, and he hurled every obscenity at them that he possibly could. You know... The one thing I do notice about Goliath in this chapter is that he's a big talker. But that's all that he does. For 40 days he came out and he talked a big game, but never did do anything. Now I'm not taken away from his immense power and his strength, and, and I'm sure that, that he could have taken on any two or three of those men, but, but, but why didn't he just come on out and start swinging a sword? But he's just, he's just talking, that's all he's doing. He seems to be more interested in talking smack than actually smacking anybody. Chris Simpson made this statement, and I thought, boy, that's good. I wish I'd have said it. Chris Simpson said that no giant in the Bible ever hurt anybody. No giant in the Bible ever killed anybody. That's interesting. But here's Goliath. He is, he's deceitful. He said, listen, you send me one man, I'll fight him. He said, if you win, then all of us will be your servants. Well, that's exactly what happened. And then the Philistines fled. Well, what happened about we will be your servant? What, what happened there? He was deceitful is what he was. He, he's a liar. By the way, I want to tell you, the devil is a liar. He puts fear in your heart, not by telling you the truth, but by lying to you. He lies to you about God, and he lies to you about yourself, and he lies to you about your past. He's a liar is what he is. 
He's deceitful, he's defiant. He sneers and he jeers and he reviles and he ridicules and he dares them and then he laughs at them when they don't take up the dare. And then he is discouraging. The Bible says the armies of Israel were dismayed, greatly afraid at the words of Goliath. It's demoralizing to be mocked like that. But it would be suicide to face Goliath. Now, most sermons that I have heard preached from David and Goliath is about slaying your giants, facing your giants. You can defeat your giants. Whether it's the giant of fear or the giant of discouragement or, or the giant of doubt, whatever giants there are in your life, you can defeat them. Now, I am fine with that application. But I don't believe that the story is intended to be an analogy of how you can defeat your giants. Now, I'll say more about it in a minute. I don't want to ruin a whole lot of good preaching that's been done from this passage, all right? Some of the best preaching's ever been done wasn't scriptural, but it was good preaching. I don't want to... Boy, that's going to get on Twitter, ain't it? So I don't want to ruin a whole lot of good preaching... But, but every passage ain't about you, okay? So I do not believe that the application is about you getting victory over your giant of fear. I do believe you can have victory over your giants. I just don't think that that's what it's about. Now, now we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I just want you to get a glimpse of Goliath. He is an imposing figure. He is defying God. He is defying Israel. He has such contempt and hatred in his heart for the people of God. He has a contemptuous heart. But then there is David, and he is the man with the courageous heart. In part two, Israel's champion takes the stage, except nobody knows yet that he is their champion. Goliath is intimidating and he is invincible. He's a seasoned soldier. He is a champion in his nation. He's a hero. By the way, the only time that the word champion appears in your Bible is in verse number four when it's talking about Goliath. That's the only time you find that word in your Bible. Everybody wants to be a champion. Well, I just want you to know what kind of company that you are keeping. David, David, he wasn't even in the army. He was skilled with a slingshot, but nobody was ever slinging a slingshot back at him. He, he was more skilled in keeping sheep and, and playing a harp, and, and he's the youngest of eight, and he didn't get any respect from his older brothers, and he doesn't even come to fight. In fact, he comes as the first DoorDash delivery, bringing food. That's where, he, that's where they got it, right there in that chapter. In the Hebrew, if you'll study it out. <laughs> he comes into camp just as Goliath is doing another round of taunts, and he sees the Israelite army rushing not toward the battle, but they're running away from the battle. And he cannot believe what his ears are hearing. What, what is this vile Philistine? How dare this vile Philistine say those things about my God? And so, so he said, he wants to, why don't somebody fight him? He's issued the challenge. Why doesn't somebody take him on? Why doesn't somebody go down there? I mean, all you have to do is we just have to kill him and we win the victory. That's all we got to do. Just kill that one giant. That's it. 
And then to make things worse, or to make them better, whatever, David is told that Saul has promised that whoever kills him is going to get a great reward. In fact, you'll find in the text that Saul has offered a great wealth, a lot of money, the hand of his daughter in marriage, and it says that his family's house will be free in the nation. I believe that it is talking about tax-free, taxes if you want to pay taxes in the nation. That's, that's a sweet deal. Money, no taxes, and a beautiful wife. At least we're assuming that she was beautiful. <laughs> if she's not, then, then we understand why nobody <laughs> took them up. I, I understand that. It makes sense to me. Uh, this, this is pure speculation, as a lot of this sermon is. But I think that... Um, <laughs> I think King Saul offered the rule reward progressively. I think he first threw out great riches. Nobody bit. So then he added, my daughter. Nobody took it. What if I throw in tax exempt? How about if I do that? I keep this IRS off your bag. And I think he's just adding trying to sweeten the pot. And still, no takers. And David, David is dumbfounded. But he's also young, brash, dumb, cocky. And really what he needs is he needs a man to talk to him. And so in steps Eliab. Oh, brother Eliab. Verse 28. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? With whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. Thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. If you're a preacher, here's your great text right here. David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? He turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. You remember Eliab, don't you? Well, back in the previous chapter, chapter 16, when Samuel came down to Jesse's house to anoint a king, Eliab, he's the oldest, he's the first one. They thought, surely it is going to be Eliab, because Eliab, he is kingly material. How do you think Eliab felt when Eliab got passed by? Go over and stand in the corner. And David, his youngest brother, because no older brother has any respect for his younger brother. Say amen right there, Parker. <laughs> and to watch his younger brother be crowned as the next king. Eliab knew of David's selection to be the king. That doesn't mean that he accepted it. Right. And now when David shows up, Eliab is angry and he unloads on David. You have a naughty heart. You came down here just to be a spectator. You have abandoned your flock that you ought to be watching. And ironically, in every area that Eliab accused him, David was not only not guilty, but he was actually commendable. He didn't come to be a spectator. He came because his father sent him. It's on a mission from his father. He didn't abandon his sheep. He found somebody to take care of them while he was away. He didn't have a naughty heart. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. And it's convicting that Eliab spoke worse of David than he did of Goliath. The one you really ought to be mad at is that dirty Philistine. 
And if David had gone home right then, if he had gone home right then and gave that report to his father, do you know what his report would have been? His report would have been that the battle is at a standstill because there's one giant defying God and everybody is running and ask for your three sons. They're busy hiding in their tent trying not to wet their breeches because they're afraid of Goliath. That would have been the report. So he's got to face Eliab and then David has to face Saul. Somebody tells him there is a kid in town and or in camp and he's running his mouth. And so they bring him before Saul. And when Saul sees David, he knows who he is, but he is disappointed because he's, he's too young. He's too experienced. He, inexperienced. He is too green. He is, he is too small. And David says, well, who you got? I mean, I mean, I don't see nobody else taking it up. And, and you did say um, no taxes. Did I hear that correct? And tell me again, which, which daughter? Which daughter was we talking about? Huh? Do I get to pick or, or, or is that, can you clarify that? And what really has David's all dandered up is that the Goliath, the giant, is defying God. God. I mean, right before their very ears, listen to what this filthy Philistine is saying about my God. How dare that vile Philistine put the name of my God in it. You know, it would be good if it would upset us every once in a while to hear God's name taken in vain. He hears Goliath roar and he says, well, I've heard roars before. I've heard a bear and I've heard a lion. God delivered them into my hand and God will deliver this loud mouth fool in my hand as well. Oh, what a courageous heart. Saul tries to out-talk him. I don't think he really wants to out-talk him. Tries to suit him up with his own armor because he sure ain't going to need it. And, but in the end, who, who is going to take up the fight? So David gathers himself, gets his staff, goes down to the brook, gets him five smooth stones, puts them in, the, in, the, in, in his sack, and Goliath is watching it all. This is who you're going to send? What is this? Is this a joke? You, you think I'm playing games? Huh? Fee, fi, fo, fum, I smell the... Oh, sorry, wrong, wrong giant. Sorry, sorry about that. Got, got my stories mixed up there. You, you are going to send a boy out to do a man's job. I will tear him from limb to limb and I will feed him to the birth. But Goliath really needs to stop talking and start fighting because David is already on his way toward the giant, sling, swinging his sling around. He releases the stone and smacks him right dab in the forehead. Goliath hits the ground with a thread. David runs up there, pulls his sword out, jumps on his chest, and chops his head off. Now, you got to admit, that's a cool story. That, that's good. Some commentators make a whole point right here about, about what killed Goliath. Was it the stone or was it David chopping off his head with the sword? Because when you look at the text in verse 50 and 51, it says the stone slew him, and then his head's cutting off his head, slew him. I would just say he is slewed. It's just done. I mean, his goose is cooked. Feed him to the buzzard. He's done. Oh, what a great story. Now, now you, you can put all kinds of parallels and types in there, and you can even make it about you and making your own giants. I just want you to admire a man with some courage. A man who would not stand by while God was being defied. A man with a courageous heart. 
But then in the story, there is Saul, the man with the cowardly heart. And as I said, it's the story of David and Goliath. It really should have been the story of Saul and Goliath. Saul's the leader. He's the king. He's the captain. He's the one leading the men in the battle. But if there's ever been a failure in leadership, that's what you're seeing right here. If there's ever been a profile in cowardice, this is what you see right here in this story. It's interesting, back in chapter 9, when Saul is introduced, that his father is called a mighty man of power that is never used of Saul. A lot of admirable qualities, but valor and courage were not in his makeup. The last time they had fought the Philistines, Saul had let somebody else lead the charge. He took the credit for the victory. When Samuel had anointed him as king, one of the reasons why was because of the Philistines. He will save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. Saul never did that. And we are now late into his 40-year reign, but he reigns as an illegitimate king because in chapter 5, God has rejected him. Samuel has walked out of his life never to see him again. And the spirit of the Lord has departed and it has been replaced by an evil spirit from the Lord. We've been painting a picture of Saul as a type of the flesh, and here you have a man that's devoid of God. He's devoid of the Word of God. He's devoid of the man of God. He's devoid of the Spirit of God. And I want you to see how the flesh displays itself for just a minute. Look at verse 25. They would speak to the men that stood by him. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 25. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely... To defy Israel as he come up. And it should be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches. Will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. He's desperate for help, but somehow he thinks that he can buy victory. It's interesting before, Saul was always anxious that he be seen better than everybody else. That nobody shows him up. That nobody gets more credit for the victory than he does, but now he doesn't care. He, he just wants somebody to fight his battles, and leadership has never sunk so low as to want somebody else to take the responsibility that belongs to leadership. He says in verse 31, when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. I want you to notice how he immediately compares David against Goliath. He sizes up David. You are not big enough. You are not strong enough. You are not experienced enough because he places all of his confidence in the physical. You notice in verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. He would accept David as his deliverer, but I would like for you to do it on my terms. Let me at least have a part of the victory. At least we can say that you were wearing my armor when you fought Goliath. The flesh cannot accept that it cannot, that it is helpless to save itself. It insists on having some part in salvation. But if you are going to be delivered, it will be on Jesus' terms or nobody's at all. 
types of three men. I have three types of heart. I have a contemptuous heart, I have a courageous heart, and I have a cowardly heart. That is the story, and you already knew that. There is nothing new about David and Goliath. And we could spend a whole lot of more time on Saul and his failure and leadership and how he's a type of flesh and his cowardice in battle, his desperation to get somebody to fight his fights for him. But here's what I want you to see tonight before we go home. Again, the most common application is fighting your giants. Whatever your giants are, you can conquer your giants. And I have stayed away from that application on purpose because I've always thought that it was a little bit forced into the story. If we are going to make it a type of something, then make it about Jesus, not about us. So I want to wrap the story up with what I believe is the best application. Goliath is a type of antichrist. He's a superhuman, and he is a foreshadowing of the kind of person that Antichrist will be. He defies the armies of God, as Antichrist will defy God during the tribulation. If you like numbers, it's interesting that Goliath was six cubits high. And he had six pieces of armor. And a spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. There's a whole lot of sixes right there. And to wrap it up in a bow, he was killed with a sword by a soon-to-be king, David. And all that mirrors Antichrist, that when he comes and the battle is on, and it's not a picture of you fighting the battle, it's a picture of Christ fighting the battle and defeating him. But then, Goliath is a type of Satan. Well, look at verse number 9. Here's his challenge. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. I tell you what, I'll represent one side. You gave me one man that represents you. Two men, let's meet. You represent one race and I'll represent the other race. Which is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden when Satan met Adam in the Garden. Satan represented the kingdom of fallen human beings and, or fallen beings and Adam represented the race of humanity. You know what I believe? That had Adam won the battle, that all of Satan's hosts would have been subjected to Adam's race because God had given Adam dominion over all the earth and all that was therein. But Adam didn't win. Satan won and that day Adam's race becomes subject to the dominion of of Satan. Goliath is a champion of a great host whose enemy, whose sole desire is to destroy the people of God. He possesses powerful weapons that are at his disposal. Satan has tremendous resources at his disposal. The weapons of Satan are mighty and they are many. Goliath has caused the men of Israel to tremble and, and to fear and Satan inspires fear in the heart of men. Look in verse number 26. Verse 26, David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For he who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. He was defiant, and I want you to know that Satan is defiant as well. We may disobey God, but we don't try to do it with a raised fist. 
But that's not Satan. Job 41 says, Upon earth there is not his like who is made without fear. Satan does not fear his future. He does not fear hell. He does not future, fear the coming judgment of God. He's defiant. That's Antichrist, by the way. He opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worship. He is defiant. Goliath is their champion. He is their conqueror. Nobody could defeat him. The, the, the story is not that you can defeat him. The story is you can't defeat him. Nobody dared to take him up on his challenge. People talk about taking on the devil. You probably better leave him alone, which you probably do. Charismatics, charismatic talk about picking a fight with Satan and binding him and, and keeping him from doing his devil, evil work. I'm going to tell you something. You better, you better stay far, far away from him. And Goliath, he terrorizes the people. He terrorizes the people until one day a shepherd who was destined to be a king showed up and said, I'll take on the challenge. You may be interested to remember that David was sent to the battlefield by his father. He was on a mission from his father. I'm getting to the shouting part in just a minute, all right? And remember that Jesus didn't come of his own cord. He said that he came numerous times to do the will of his father which had sent him. And David comes to his brethren and he is bearing gifts and his brethren rejected him. They didn't want him there. They reviled him. They made up stories about him. They accused him. Does that sound familiar to you? I ain't telling you who David's a type of, but I'm just painting the pictures of what I'm doing. By the way, David has been in the wilderness keeping sheep. He has been a shepherd up to this time, but he has been in obscurity for some time before he comes on the scene. Reminds me of somebody else that was in obscurity for about 30 years before he decides to come on the scene. In fact, look at verse number 37, if you would. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. You know what David just did? He declared his victory in advance. He, he, he tells them that God will deliver this Philistine into his hand. By the way, Jesus told his disciples exactly what was going to happen. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. And I'm going to raise again. Put it down in your notebook so you can check it later on. But he declared his triumph before it ever happened. And in verse 50, so David prevail. He faced that giant alone and destroyed him that had the power of death. And Jesus faced Satan on that cross and he prevailed over him when he rose from the grave. He came out with victory over sin, death, and hell. And by the way, do you remember what was promised to the victor? Great riches. You know where he's sitting right now, surrounded by the riches of glory? And a bride. Great riches and a bride. And, and, and I'll make your father's house free in Israel. Jesus purchased the freedom of every man who would come to him. <laughs> Verse 51, I'm going to end it. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and 
drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head thereof. Hallelujah. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. David has won the victory, but it's not for himself. He has won the victory for the men of Israel. And those men who could not stand against Goliath, those men who did not have a chance against Goliath, those men who were fearful of Goliath now share in the victory of David. <laughs> he spoiled the enemy and in so doing, he liberated his people. They never picked up a sword. They, they never picked up a sword and they would have lost if they had, but David fought the battle and he won the victory for every man there. Hallelujah. Here's what I want to say to you, Anna, come. You and I live in victory. Not when we get to heaven, but right now. Because my conqueror has won the battle. I can enjoy the benefits of his victory. I reap the rewards of his war. The champion is defeated. Goliath is dead. The enemy has been put to, light, put to flight. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over sin at Calvary. Victory over death, death at the empty tomb. And there is victory for you and I every day. These men who have been scared to death saw that champion go down. They grabbed their sword and they started chasing the Philistine. They, they, they took the spoils. They came out richer in the end than they were when they went in. <laughs> Somebody goes back home and says, hey, we won the victory. Get ready. Victor's parade. Get ready. Here the men start coming back. Got the spoils of the victor. I have a big parade. And when they come in, somebody has wrote, written a new song just for them. And you know that song doesn't say anything about any of them soldiers. He killed him. He killed 20. It only has one line. David has slain his 10,000. David has slain his 10,000. One of these days when we get to heaven, we'll be singing. It won't be about you. It won't be about the battles you won. It won't be about how much service won't be. No, I tell you what, we're going to be singing. We're going to be singing about him. Song will be about David. So I say this is not about you defeating your giants. If you face doubt, fear, anxiety, discouragement, he has won the battle for you. It's not about you fighting the battle. It's about you entering into the battle he has fought. Entering into the victory that he has won. It's appropriating the victory that he has gained for you and I. The day I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, I, I'm not strong. I am not powerful. I am not strong for the battle. So today, I just need to rest in you. I need to rely on you. And I just need to enter into the victory that you've already won for me. I, I can't face the devil. I, I can't face the demons. But, but in you, in you, I can live in victory. Not when I get to heaven, but right now, today, tomorrow. Tomorrow, I can live in victory because... My David has won the battle. Heavenly Father, thank you for the text tonight. I trust that we have been faithful to the application. It is not about me. It's about you.
Thank you for Jesus Christ <laughs> winning the victory on my behalf. For doing for me what I could not do. I can live every day in victory, not mine, but in Christ's victory. Speak to our hearts, heads about eyes closed.